That's what H2F is about. The smallest piece is the ACFT. You should be able to do an ACFT tomorrow. Everybody wearing this uniform should be able to perform an ACFT tomorrow, whenever that day is. And if you can't, you're not healthy. You want to be healthy, not for the ACFT, but because it makes you a better human being. And I need you able to fight a war, and I need you to have my back when we're gonna go fight that war. with the Arkansas Army National Guard. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class Jim Houston. Mental, nutritional, spiritual, and sleep. In this episode, we're exploring the five domains of H2F, holistic health and fitness, with Staff Sergeant Derek York, H2F coordinator for the Arkansas National Guard. We'll also talk to Sergeant Ethan Patterson, the Arkansas Army National Guard Best Warrior NCO for 2023, and Sergeant Mary Lou Medina and Specialist Raul Gutierrez, two of the 10 Arkansas Guardsmen sent as interpreters to Sintan Guardian 2023 in Guatemala. Also, we'll meet the president of the Central Arkansas Herpetological Society and talk about the snakes at Hunter Lake. Let's get to it. I'm in the training room at the Peck Gym with Staff Sergeant Derek York and Brittany Linford, Assistant Manager and Personal Trainer here at the Miranda Combat Athletic Performance Center. So for holistic health and fitness, right, your spiritual domain is your purpose. It's your why. Why are we here? Why are we wanting to defend a country? Right? And that leads into your health and fitness. Why does it matter that I go for a jog? Why do I need to know how to run two miles if all I'm gonna be able to do is uh, load artillery rounds, right? Your spiritual domain, your purpose, your why, is the foundation of all of those questions, right? So if you can't get through a door, if you can't get out of your chair, if you don't understand how to create blood flow to the brain and to the body, then you can't do the things that you want to do. So by having a purpose, by understanding what you're doing here, uh, some of us have a belief in something higher Right? Without that with us, you can't continue and go on to be healthy. You won't have anything to anchor yourself down. When I teach it, I try to explain it like, what is that rock in the middle of the raging river that you cling to when everything goes sideways? And if you have that purpose, if you have that understanding to cling to when everything's rushing by you, then you can build from there. So if someone's never done yoga before, uh, is there a certain class they should come to or is it all? No, my, my, so my class is for everybody. 
There are progressions and regressions. I can help anybody do anything. If there's certain pose you can't get into, we'll make a modification, or I'll just have you go back into a child's pose until, you know, obviously injuries and things like that. Some things aren't always doable, but we can work with that. So it's for, it's for everybody. So you can tailor it to the- Absolutely, to absolutely. So. Uh, how often do you uh, offer the class training? Uh, so it's 7 a.m. on Tuesdays, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, 11.30 a.m. What's it called again? Combat Dexterity Range of Motion class. <laughs> is, is there an acronym with that? or CD-ROM. <laughs> uh, our, our IT people help me out with that one. <laughs> uh, same question, sir, in York. Uh, how, how does yoga help fit in with the, the wellness portion? So uh, I think Brittany really hit on it. It's it's a mindfulness, right? Where where are you through yoga practice or any range of motion and mobility? You have to put yourself into situations that are uncomfortable, right? You can take that mentally and you can take that physically. So to be able to hold a pose that your body starts shaking, you don't want to be in, it's uncomfortable, you, you're you not in that pose often, so you have to mentally prepare yourself to where do I go, right? Um, what it does is it allows us to practice, hey, when I'm in a situation that I'm not comfortable in, but I know I need to stay in this situation, how do I bring myself back to being present in what's my purpose? I know why I'm doing this. It will get better. And so I have learned through Brittany's classes that I can hold a pose longer than I thought just by breathing, by controlling, by turning on the parasympathetic nervous system. That's what she does through mindfulness. And then I can get myself through any situation, physical or mental at that point. Uh, yeah. So you've, you've tailored these classes for people that are training for the ACFT, is that correct? That's correct. How is that done? A lot of it focuses on like mobility, stretching, things like that. A lot of recovery. Um, a lot of people like to come in and do hardcore workouts, but they don't spend a lot of time on recovery. So that's very helpful. Uh, we work on breath work, things kind of bring you back to the presence, meditation, um, being helpful, um, especially my class is held in the middle of the day, so it kind of gives you that break in between um, work, so you can kind of come back, bring the presence, and like Derek said, figure out your purpose and why. So, so she's teaching you how to relax mm -hmm. your mind While through a stressful situation. Correct. Right? Which has direct tactical benefits, right? How do we stay present when we're about to kick through a door and you don't know what's on the other side, right? But if you can't hold a plank, you're not gonna be able to do that very well either, right? So through those exercises that she's teaching you, right? And then the other side of it is, is when you're teaching to get ready for the ACFT, you're also physically preparing for the ACFT. Mm -hmm. So there's training, but then the ability to, how do I recover from that training? 
right? How do I make sure that my muscles are ready to do the training again tomorrow? Yeah, almost like priming them. What what do you get out of yoga? What what does it give to you? For me, it it was the mental. It was the ability to know that, okay, I am not comfortable in this in this movement. It's something that I don't normally do and it's something I'm not very good at. So I had to practice being bad at something and being okay with that. What that taught me is that I can be bad at different things, right? So just because I could run a 10 minute two mile did not mean that I could shoot well. Well, if I'm not a great shot, I understand, okay, I just need to practice. I need to get with somebody that can teach me and then I can learn whatever I need to from that, from that point. Yoga teaches you that, first of all, most of us aren't very good at it, particularly in the military. So I'm going to second that. <laughs> if, we, if, we can, if we can start to learn, hey, I can do something that I'm not great at, then the you can move forward from there and start to work on the things that maybe you weren't good at. Maybe you can lift a lot of weight and maybe running's not your thing. But if you do enough practice at it, you can get better at it, right? So uh, I think we can take those lessons anywhere and then you can again scalability right Mm -hmm. at first you just do yoga in here for 20 to 30 minutes and you eventually work to where i can hold poses for longer and you can always get to where you're doing 90 minute bikram um, which is the hot yoga in 110 degree rooms right now you're you're adding another level of stress, right? And able to work through those. So um, I think I think what she does really well here is the scalability, right? She can make it work for for anybody, and that's uh, the biggest lesson I've learned is that uh, anybody can. Um, you can learn from anyone, and no matter if you're a professional athlete coming in or it's your first time ever doing anything athletic, you're going to get something out of it. I just want to, I want everyone to know that yoga is for everybody, and you're not going to get good at it unless you do it. So, and you don't even have to get good at it, to be honest. It's just a nice a nice thing to do for yourself. And you don't period. need to show up anything, any special attire or? Um, no, I mean, I've had... People do it in uniform and boots. I mean, whatever's whatever you're comfortable in is fine. I think the important I mean, I think some clothing's probably a little more restrictive, but I'm not it's a judgment free zone for me. So whatever you feel comfortable doing it is fine with me. I don't care. <laughs> I think uh, I think the important part that we're uh, getting at with the with range of motion, right, is I think most people look at yoga is like a oh i don't need that oh this is a a foo-foo thing or what right whatever however call it what you want to combat range of motion right if you uh call it yoga however um being able to understand and breathe through again difficult situations but really why are you doing it Okay. If you understand that, hey, I'm going to go get better because I need to be a better all-around human being, that's your spirituality. That's your purpose in life is to be a better human being and to help others get better. Yoga is a massive part of that and the the ability to center yourself and the ability to um, breathe is uh, paramount.
of the 60 Arkansas National Guardsmen that participated in Sintan Guardian 2023 in Guatemala last month, 10 were Spanish interpreters pulled from the ranks of Spanish-speaking Arkansans in the Arkansas Army National Guard. I caught up with Sergeant Mary Lou Medina and Specialist Raul Gutierrez during the State Best Warrior Competition and asked them about the experience. This was my first year going to Guatemala and I believe it was a very great experience, a great opportunity. I was very honored to get the opportunity to go because I did learn a lot. Anywhere from op fort training, training with the special forces and just getting to know their culture. I've been to Guatemala total 12 times. Every time I go, I learn something different from the culture, from their military bearings, their passion they do, the way they join. For me, going over Guatemala, I learned from the military, is truly designed for the love of the country. They want to make Guatemala a better place to live for the future generations. So when it came to describing what the, uh, the American trainers were saying, how was that hard to, how difficult was that to translate between what the instruction was and, and what you need to tell the Guatemalans? So it was actually a good training experience when it comes to translating because I did learn a lot of military wording from English to Spanish. It, it was a challenge, personally, but I did learn a lot. It's, at first it was challenging because the terminology is different. For example, for us, uh, we, we call it magazine. In Mexico, we call it cartucho. In Guatemala, they call it torba. So it's totally different. Everything we think of oh, in Spanish is gonna be the same processing language. It's a shocker the way the military terms is changed for everything. Well, how, many, how many things like uh, the magazine, the name for the magazine, uh, how many things like that did you have to remember when you were translating? It's, it's quite a few because at, at this point, I've still got a no staff. For example, here in the U.S. Army, we say barubari. In in the Mexican Army, they say camaradas, compañeros. In Guatemala, they say quas. Is that they have 22 different dialects. So each little region has its own little dialect to whereas there's some people that don't even understand Spanish because they were, they grew up speaking their own dialect. Well, growing up, my it was more of a Spanish slang that I used, so it was, I was able to pick on more formal Spanish. Was that fun? Was it? it was challenging. <laughs> it's, um, for me, every time it's a learning opportunity of, I learn from the dog, they, like we learn from them, as they learn from us, that military doctrine, their bearing, their discipline, their um, passion to do things. Sometimes we have more advanced technology here, and we take it for granted. We go over there, and, and they're using still Galileo rifle, the M2, A1, no, M16, and they don't have the technology we have, we take it for granted, and they make the best of it. They, they do it with passion, dedication, and we, you don't hear them complain about anything. So the passion they, they do it is, for me, it's an impact. What were they like to work with? I mean, it, working for them personally is 
like motivation to me. They wake up in the morning. They they do PT in the morning. Then they go to breakfast. Then they play soccer. Then they go to more PT. Then they go to the duties. Come back. Then do more PT. Then they play soccer again. Always challenging us and working with them is the passion. The passion they for how what they do. You cannot describe it. It's hard to describe how much doing everything with a smile. Never hear a complaint. Never hear a negative. The only thing you say is thank you for, for the state partnership program the goals, for the American soldiers to go and train them because they say they want to make a better country in the future for them. There's a reason that we're the assassins, the first to fire. You're listening to Drill Weekend with the Arkansas Army National Guard. We're in the middle of the, uh, the functional fitness class here at the Peck Gym, uh, and I wanted to talk to you about the, the nutrition domain. Yes. Um, what, uh, what what is everybody here? What what, they, what should they have had for breakfast? What what they should be eating during the day to uh, to maintain that nutritional level that they need to be at to perform the ACFT and and, and, and be a good soldier. So that's a great question. It's a common question in the Army. The, the unfortunate answer is it depends. Every soldier is going to need something completely different for them. And you need to understand what that is and where that comes from, right? I had oatmeal with peanut butter this morning. Well, I needed the carbohydrate and the protein and some fats, right? Typically, that's what you're going to want to go for. Those are your macros, right? The biggest thing with nutrition, as far as soldiers are concerned, is not what what they're not getting, it's what extra they're putting in. I could teach anybody I need to about proteins, fats, and carbs, but if they're gonna go have nine energy drinks, two packs of cigarettes, and a whole log of skull, what, what am I doing? What, what point is there? Your macros could be perfect. If that's your, you know, your uh, dessert, I can't help you. Right? Cut one of those out, your two miles gonna get better. Cut one of those out and you're gonna be a better human being all the way around. So the, the nutrition is centered around, hey, try not to eat something in a package. Try to cook your own food, right? Everybody talks about nutrition being expensive. What's a big bag of rice and a big bag of beans cost? Per meal. Nothing. Right? So the cheapest thing you can do is big bag of rice, big bag of beans. Have a have a lean meat and then go get bulk vegetables and tell me you spent a bunch of money. That's that's not true at all. Right? So eat those, right? Vegetables, lean meats. So what is it that you think every soldier should know about nutrition? What what should be their mindset? I, I think just just that. There was a longitudinal study done on diets, right? And it was over the course of around 50 years trying to see what the best diet was for people. And they had people like the Inuit that only ate whale blubber, right? They had the Mediterranean diets, lots of fish. They had lots of carb, high carbohydrate, right? Look at the Kenyan runners, the Ugali, tons of carbohydrate, cornmeal, right? The Japanese, tons of rice, right? So there's all kinds of 
of different things. Well, what they found was is it it had nothing to do with what they were eating. It was the healthiest people made their food at home. Were you cooking your own food? When it was unhealthy, they were eating McDonald's packaged, right? They were sticking stuff in the microwave. So if you if you want to learn something about nutrition, it's hey, go go to the grocery store, do what we've always said, shop around the outside, get a a big thing of broccoli and cook it, right? Grab some meats and then have rice and beans. It's as simple as that, right? Try to be simple. It's not about if you really want to dial into it. Okay, how many grams of protein do I need per kilo? gram of body weight well unless you're a bodybuilder or you're really getting into things uh, I think we can really talk about uh, focusing on eating real food and I think that's the biggest takeaway eat, eat real food how, how does the ACFT measure overall fitness so what are your thoughts on that as, as far as the measurement for uh, how good the soldier is well I think it's much better than the PT test that we had before the APFT was muscular endurance and cardiovascular endurance that was it we didn't measure muscular power we didn't measure overall strength right and this is coming from someone that the APFT was kind of my bag I was really good at it Well, yeah, you throw in, I'm a 145-pound long-distance runner. You throw in a deadlift, that's going to change some things, right? And I'm 100% behind the deadlift. Uh, I don't think we needed to do the trap bar, but that's my own opinion. Um, The ability to do a deadlift is, is core activation and can you move weight when you need to move weight? And I think that's something that we didn't measure, right? The standing power throw. It's not about throwing a ball. It's about how much power can you create instantaneously, right? The ability to jump. You could have done a vertical jump maybe, right? But we need to be able to measure that to see where we are and to see where we need to improve. Again, A two-mile run just lets us know where the soldier is cardiovascularly. It's got nothing to do with we want you to be able to run two miles. We want to know where do you need to improve. Where are we sitting as as an overall company, battalion, brigade, as an army, right? Uh, So having six different events, measuring just about everything that we can uh, I think is perfect right so physical fitness is more than passing the ACFT it's the ability to continue right so the question I would ask is is always why why do I need to be able to do a two-mile run if all I'm gonna do is load 155 pound uh, rounds into a howitzer. Well, you need to be able to do that a lot, which increases 
right? If you run your two miles and we know where you are and we can increase your cardiovascular system, now we're increasing your ability to load more rounds for longer. Not only that, we're increasing blood flow to the brain. Well, if you can't think right and you load the wrong round, that's not gonna help us. But if you can still move while creating blood flow to the brain and making a better cognitive decision, now that's why you're gonna go try to run two miles, not because we want you to do well on the ACFT, but because now you're a better soldier and a better human being and you can actually help us win the fight at that point. When they're making complaints about the ACFT is they can't train for it at home. Um, what would you tell somebody like that? Uh, that they're wildly mistaken. One of the things I like to say a lot is I can ruin your life with 10 minutes in a floor. You can train for the ACFT at home with nothing. And that's one of the biggest things that we teach. With no money, with no equipment, and just in your living room, you can train. What, what we don't have is the education to be able to do that. Give me some examples. Right, the burpee, right? You can do burpees, you can do lunges, right? With, uh, with no weight at all, you can do good mornings. And uh, you can also do range of motion work, right? You can do uh, high knees, right? Uh, you can do body weight squats. And you can put those all together, right? Do 10 burpees, do 10 bodyweight squats, and do uh, 10 push-ups, and then do 30 sit-ups. Do that over and over for an hour and tell me you're not re better ready for the ACFT. If you're a big, strong person, probably don't need to focus on the deadlift, right? If you can run okay, you can deadlift okay, but it's your push-ups and sprint drag carry that are, that are really weak, you're looking at muscular endurance, right? How do you create power for an elongated amount of time? And elongated at that point is two to three minutes, right? Most people will train one or two deadlifts and then they'll go for an easy run. So we like to train on the, the outskirts of where we are as humans, long and slow or short burst of energy. What we don't do is where it really hurts. We don't like to set ourselves on fire and just stand in it, right? That's what you have to do to do well at things like getting in 60 hand release push-ups in two minutes. Right? How do you push through things that hurt? Right? The ability to get rid of lactic acid. So I I think most people could do well on focusing on those those areas. Um, right? That's what H2F is about. Is that uh, H2F? The, the smallest piece is the ACFT. The ACFT should be. You should be able to do an ACFT tomorrow. Everybody wearing this uniform should be able to perform an ACFT tomorrow, whenever that day is. And if you can't, you're not healthy. You're simply not. So you, you want to be healthy, not for the ACFT, but because it makes you a better human being. And I need you able to fight a war, and I need you to have my back when we're gonna go fight that war. And if you can't, then what are you doing here? I think with with fitness, I think people need to understand their 
the reasoning for working on their weaknesses. If you're a really good runner, there's several people on the National Guard Marathon team, they don't squat. They don't get in here and lift weights. You hear these people clanging weights around, right? They need to be in here squatting. Heavy weight, because it's gonna help you. If you can come in here and you can bench 400 pounds, great, and you can squat 600 pounds, great, but you can't run to the door, then again, you're, you're of no use to me. Because you, you won't be able to keep up when we need to move, right? So I think with fitness, you really need to broaden your horizons. Think about where I'm weak and think about why you're weak. You need to be able to do the mobility. Get in here and see Brittany, right? Call somebody that you need to know to get it strong enough to where then you can come in here and work with these guys. Jo what John's doing with all of these people is absolutely amazing. And if you, it, it's a matter of getting everybody together and understanding, oh, I'm gonna suck today. That's okay, because I'm gonna be good at something else tomorrow. This year's recipients of the Arkansas Best Warrior title were Sergeant Ethan Patterson and Specialist Kendall Upton. I spoke to Sergeant Patterson at range 30 just hours before the awards dinner. Sergeant Patterson had entered the competition after three days of little sleep as the command and control NCOIC for the Arkansas National Guard's tornado response. I asked him how he felt about entering the Best Warrior competition with little time to prepare for it. I thought it was a blast. It's uh, been challenging at times, definitely uh, physically and mentally. Little bumps, a few bumps and bruises here and there, but uh, overall definitely a uh, experience that others should should go for so uh, how, how would you recommend it to somebody else I would definitely recommend it so you have that physical challenge of competing against the other soldiers within the state but also that reward we have a huge camaraderie here we sit there talk chat cheer each other on joke around but it's been a blast just to work with each and every other soldier both enlisted and NCO Physically, how do you feel so far? Physically, I'm exhausted. Um, bumps, bruises, you name it. Wake up, barely roll out of bed. You're that sore, but it's been a blast. Definitely something that it's that rewarding, rewarding soreness is how I'd put it. How would you uh, prepare somebody uh, from your unit, say, uh, if, if you knew they were going to have to compete? What would you tell them? Start running. A lot of cardio. Um, that endurance is a major factor. Just that mental grind is just being in that mental mindset of knowing you have to overcome the obstacle um, that's in front of you. And then also study your study guide religiously. Um, that board is intimidating and it's not to mess around with and they will question you on almost everything you can think of. My favorite part would definitely be the combatives tournament. Um, it was both the physical aspect of it, but the mental aspect of it, being able to comprehend where you're at, um, where you're positioned at, where the other position's at, and then overcome any negative positions you're in. For the marksmanship, I think it was a, it was exceeded all expectations. You did a true combat course, um, so 
did your runs, your sprints, and then you also had to do a Texas Star, um, a few different obstacles, and then you had a known distance range that was in between a lot of what you you trained for. And so you had your spotter who's call out your shots, hits, misses, um, and where that location was. So to work with your MTU guys who are the experts and for them to be your, your set of eyes, honestly, was a blast. Yeah, I do love the National Guard. <laughs> I do. You're listening to Drill Weekend with the Arkansas Army National Guard. So we're in the, the Beaver Fit tent. Um, it's not fully together, but they're already doing exercises out here. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the advantage of having uh, the Beaver Fit tent? Well, I think it's focused, right? So the Beaver Fit tent is here to teach classes that coincide with the H2F modality, right? So um, this is going to be an education space. Uh, having PT has always seemed like a punishment, right? You're going to do corrective training. You're going to make people do PT so they could pass a PT test. Well, those of us here and those of us in H2F see it as opportunities to teach things that you can only learn through physical fitness, right? Teaching patience because you're waiting on a partner of yours to get done so that you can do your portion and everything's under time constraints, right? The ability to activate certain muscle groups when they're so fatigued, right? The, these are things that we're, we're trying to teach. And so what this will allow us to do is to focus classes and we, we won't have to, you know, kind of fight with just someone going in to do their workout. This is gonna be for training with an educational purpose. Uh, so you mentioned shop. Uh, how often do you teach that class? How, how would people sign up for it? Are there any other classes that, uh, that, that they could sign up for with you? So right now with Arkansas, we're going to run three more shop classes, and that is going to be during AT period. So we'll have um, by brigade. We're going to have one with the 142nd. We're going to have one with the 77th, and we're going to have one with the 39th. What we're hoping to do at the end of that, we'll compile everything. Uh, I'll write a a white paper on it and then what we're hoping is that that will continue and we'll run the idea is to run one per quarter uh, either here at Camp Robinson or another at uh, Chaffee at Fort Chaffee and Fort Smith uh, and we'll run those one per quarter moving forward that's ideally how we would work that so uh, if there's uh, anybody listening that can continue to help us out to make that happen that's what we're that's what we're shooting for what is shop again and why is it this yeah. so shop is the soldier health optimization program what it is is it's a five-day education course so that way everybody that comes out of that no longer has an excuse on they know exactly what to do when they walk into the gym they know why they're going to the gym they know why they're showing up and working on breathing why they're working on yoga or range of motion and they understand the benefits of learning how to sleep, how to eat, and why it's so important to be a better human being as opposed to 
pass ACFD and show up in your uniform. And that's open to any soldier, it doesn't matter rank, title? Whatever. No, right now there's no, no rank or title to it. I think everybody needs it and I think we all, we're all in uniform. So um, everybody's gonna get something from it. Tell me the importance of sleep and getting enough rest to recover. How does that fit in with the uh, H2F? So sleep has a lot more effects on the brain and the body than what we, uh, than what we understand. And I'll, I'll give an example. Um, so we're supposed to study a lot in these jobs. So no matter what you're doing, there's going to be uh, a dodi to read. There's going to be a an AR. There's going to be uh, you know uh, dash tens. Whatever it is that we need to be reading up on, studying. We need to know our craft. So when you read something, temporarily, what happens is is that you will store information right? And you'll store short-term memory is going to be in the hippocampus, right? And I won't go too deep into this. Only when you're sleeping will that transfer of short-term memory go to the prefrontal cortex to long-term memory to where you actually learned it. That only happens when you sleep. So if you learn something and then you don't get any sleep, it can't move from temporary knowledge to long-term knowledge, right? So that's a, a cognitive effect of sleep. Um, during your uh, deep wave sleep, that is your, your body's ability to recover. So if you don't sleep, you can't build muscle. You can work out all day in the gym and then not get sleep and you've done nothing but tear your, your body down. So the only time that you rebuild muscle is in that restorative state, which is while you're asleep, right? So the sleep is one of the more important domains and we tend to get things like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Oh, well, you know, we need to be able to work without sleep. Well, that's actually not true. We need to know how to tactically apply sleep when we need it. One of the things that, uh, so one of the education opportunities that we have in Arkansas is the Soldier Health Optimization Program. That's the shop. What we teach at the shop is we actually have an area of the uh, education where you will take a tactical nap. I will start a clock and you are supposed to take a nap for 15 minutes. What we found is that most people can't fall asleep in that. So we need to teach them how to turn on that parasympathetic nervous system. And we do that for reasons like a 36 hour mission where, hey, they're gonna walk up and go, this platoon is up, your platoon is down, you need to bed down right now. And it could be in the middle of the day. If you can't do that, you're not gonna function well when it's your turn to be up, right? Uh, Major Brager is one of the leading scientists in sleep and she is uh, active duty, um, obviously active duty army and, um, 
what she teaches is things like coffee naps, right? So when you take a 15 minute nap, what you do is you clear adenosine from the brain. Adenosine is something that fills the receptacles of things like caffeine. So that's why you get tired throughout the day. That's why if you just keep chugging coffee on a 24 hour op, it has less and less effect. Well, it's because adenosine is blocking all those receptors. And as short as a 15 minute nap, you will clear all adenosine from the brain and now the receptors are completely open. Now that coffee is gonna actually do something. But if you don't sleep, you cannot clear adenosine from the brain. Those are some very, very small, specific examples, but that's just touching on how important sleep is and why we need it. You have a, you have a marathon coming up this weekend? I have an Ironman this and weekend. An Ironman coming up this weekend. Marathon two weeks after that. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, when you run around here on Camp Robinson, what would be a favorite run for you to, to, to get ready for that? My absolute favorite run is going around the lake. Uh, I have, you can do four to five miles easy. I go up and around the obstacle course, uh, back down through the lakes. Sometimes I'll run around both lakes. Uh, you can get out here on the golf cor- course every now and then if it's uh, in the evening or in the mornings. Um, it's just a, it's a beautiful run that they have trails all through here. So uh, yeah, if I just want to enjoy myself, get out and enjoy the weather, I absolutely will go do that run. So. Uh- before we finish today, is there any final thoughts that you'd like to give us? Just that holistic health and fitness is more than the ACFT. I think we, we combine those two because in the Army we think health is measured by numbers. We think that health is measured by how many people are passing or failing in ACFT or height weight. It's easy to lose 10 pounds. Don't eat next week. Super easy. But why is that important? Why would losing weight be important, right? We don't want you just to lose weight. We want you to be fitter and better as a human being. We want you to be able to apply what you've learned so that way we can be ready when shit hits the fan. And I think that's the most important thing moving forward is that H2F is more than your ACFT. It's more than height weight. It's teaching how to be a better human. And we just don't have that education. That's the number one resource that we have is education. Just because we give somebody a gym membership does not mean that they're gonna go in and know how to use it. And it doesn't mean they're gonna have the motivation to go use it if they don't have a purpose or they don't understand why, right? So uh, I, think, uh, I think the biggest takeaway is just understanding that one, H2F is more than the numbers. And two, our greatest resource is education. How do we get this education to everybody in this uniform and their families that support them? If Hunter Lake is your go-to running spot for lunch, after work, or drill, you might have learned to keep an eye ahead of you for snakes. So when I got an opportunity to talk with Sergeant Connor Hessington, Blackhawk maintainer with the 77th Aviation Brigade and president of the Central Arkansas Herpetological Society, we went to Hunter Lake and I asked him every crazy snake question I could think of. 
So pretty much around Camp Robinson and specifically around Hunter Lake, you're gonna find probably a lot of water snakes, the Southern, the Midland water snake, which is the two most common mistakenly mistaken snakes for the copperhead and the cottonmouth that a lot of people talk about. Um, as far, so that's some of the main snakes we're probably gonna see around the water's edge. If there's a lot of greenery, we might see the smooth and, um, smooth and rough green snake. It's a very pretty lime green um, slender snake. It's very fast. They usually hang around bodies of water. Um, around here, definitely gonna have copperheads. Um, it's really hard to or misidentify a copperhead, but um, you'd probably definitely see those around here, especially on the trails where the concrete kind of meets the edge of the, the path where they want to warm up and quickly get away. Um, there are the probably the few timber rattlesnakes around here. They are very rare to find. I don't normally see those in the wild. Um, and some of the, like a lot of them, if you turned up rocks and stuff like that, you'd see a lot of ring neck snakes, which a lot of people seem to find. And they seem to always be in groups of at least three. It's usually how I find them. Um, and then of course the garter snake that we all know. Um, there's actually two species that look very similar, the garter snake and the ribbon snake. Um, that one is a little bit harder to identify if you do not know and get close enough to their heads where they have two little dots on the base of their head. Um, that's kind of their biggest identifier to find out which one's which. If someone comes in here to run, should they really even worry about the snakes? If you're coming in here to run, the only time I would think that you're probably gonna see one is in the middle of the road where it's sunning. And then by the time you get close enough to it, it's gonna scurry off very fastly and you'll probably just hear the rustle of the leaves. Um, first thing in the morning and most of the time right before it gets dark is when you would start to see snakes come back out again. Get that last little bit of sun before they either go to sleep at night or the, uh, the nocturnal snakes like pit vipers and stuff like that um, before they start hunting for the evening. So um, you were saying that uh, a certain time of the year is when they like, we're, we're in the breeding season now, is that right? Yeah, so they're coming out of brumation. Um, so they've pretty much went through a, they ate, 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 and then they just kind of hung out for the winter time. But they are starting to come out of their dens of where they where they brumated at and trying to get back on food, getting ready to, uh, to start breeding again, yeah. So that's why uh, we see more of them this time of year in the spring than we do like see in the summer or later. Yeah, so like right now the temperatures are not too hot during the day, um, but do still kind of get too cold at night. So you will still, well you will see them come out more often than we will in the summertime because during the summertime it is too hot. A snake can get too hot. Um, and once they get too hot, that's that can kill them. Uh, too much heat will kill a snake faster than it being cold. So in, uh, let's get to the science of it a little bit. Now you're telling me that they actually breed at a certain temperature, is that right? Or? Yeah, so a snake, once you they start picking up on barometric pressure changes and stuff like that, as well as temperature changes, that stimulates males and females to start getting ready to uh, breed and copulate. Like they're they're breeding now or getting ready to or or laying eggs. It can be it can be either or for certain species. And it's a lot of species because we have, like I said, we have 36 species of snake in Arkansas, six of which being venomous, um, and one of which here in central Arkansas we will not find. Um, but yeah, they all have different different breeding seasons um, and stuff like that. So, but right now they're just trying to fatten back up after coming out of brumation for the winter time, and uh, so that's why you're going to see a lot more of them than you would in the dead middle of summer. Um, when, and then they start getting ready for brumation in late fall once we start getting the colder nights. 
so they'll start eating more once that temperature changes. They're just gonna eat everything that they can, as much as they can, so that way they have that fat storage to hide out for the rest of the winter until it becomes springtime again. Is that your boss? That is my boss. How's it going, man? It's going great. How are you guys doing? Good. We're doing a little podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. We're looking for snakes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So you can see what we can find in them out here. Yeah, they're starting to come out and warm up, huh? Yeah. So it'd be Did cool. you find any so far? Not yet. Okay. Hopefully, maybe. I got my snake hook so we can be safe. <laughs> I, didn't bring, I didn't bring my PT belt, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay. Yeah, what brings you out here? I'm recording, by the way. Um, I'm just enjoying the beautiful weather. Um, I'm really sore from my workout uh, yesterday morning, and so I needed to walk and stretch my legs and try to work out some of that soreness. So, And I'm using my time to do a little uh, listen to a podcast nice. on Breaking Doctrine, the new FM 3.0. Are you worried about any snakes? I am not. I know that they're just as scared of me as I am of them, and I want to leave them be. Very true. Very true. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. All right. Y'all have fun. See you. And uh, what is it we're doing? A herping? Yeah. So right now, technically, we are herping. I have my snake hook. We are on a path, and we are next to a large body of water where naturally all animals are going to um, congregate around. And so we are we have a little bit of sun right before the sun goes down and the snakes are going to be trying to get their snakes, turtles, lizards. They're all going to be trying to get that last little bit of heat before it gets cold tonight. And uh, yeah, we'll see what we can find. Every species is definitely different, but every snake also has an individual personality as well. Um, but learning where they live, the humidity levels, what they eat, when they should eat, um, and certain things like that, you have to take in con consideration because they are, are different and they are from different parts of the world. So some like it a lot hotter, some like it significantly cooler, um, some have longer day cycles, and then you need to know when to turn that off so that way they do have a, a good yearly cycle as well. Yeah, as far as the personalities of the snake snakes here at uh, Hunter Lake, um, I, I've heard stories of people being chased by snakes. Is that even a thing? <laughs> uh, so this is super controversial, but in my professional opinion, no. Snakes will not chase you. If a snake is given an opportunity, that snake will turn the other way. Um, I have been herping for years and years and years, catching the infamous cottonmouth that supposedly chases you, and I have yet to find one that comes after me. They will always try to go the other way before I can do anything. The most common thing is when people either wrongly ID the snake and they pick it up and it turns out to be a cottonmouth um, or they step on it. That is in most cases when you get bit by a cottonmouth is by not seeing it or falsely IDing it. So how would they stay safe? Say they're, they're running pretty fast on the trails and they're looking ahead of them, but they're, maybe they're coming up on a stick that, that looks a little... If you don't, if you don't know what it is, don't touch it. Don't pick it up. Um, if it's on the left side of the road and you're on the right, stay on the right hand side. Um, like I said, if you don't know what it is, just don't pick it up. So that way you're not, you're not an accident waiting to happen. Um, but other than that, they don't want to be picked up. So just don't, just don't pick up a wild snake unless you know what you're doing. You have the proper tools like my snake hook and you know how to operate and you know how to operate it proficiently. So how far can a venomous snake strike? And they can strike without being coiled, is that right? Yeah. So some snakes, uh, if you, you, if you see the traditional S position, definitely that snake is unbelievably stressed, but a, a good, a good rule of thumb is that snake can definitely lunge out over half its body. It will lunge forward. 
So like say if you see one on the side of the trail and it's you're over half its body weight length away from it. Yeah, like where we are right now, you know, we're on a, a five and a half foot wide path. If it's on the left hand side and we're on the right, that's gotta be a big snake. Like most likely, yeah, no, there's there's no way. Just stay on the right hand side. <laughs> All right. Snake hunting. Oh, God. Yes, sir. <laughs> Have y'all found any? Uh, we heard one, just one. Oh, we haven't seen any yet. No. Yeah, I, uh, my only experience was probably about a month and a half ago, cottonmouth over there on the other side of the trail. I was like, gosh. Did it chase you? No, no, it stood its ground. See? But uh, y'all are scaring me with that snake stick out there. <laughs> well, good luck to you. Thank you, sir. So, um, what are some other ways to uh, recognize a venomous snake? So a good rule of thumb can be the quote unquote diamond shaped head, but that is not 100% foolproof. Um, a lot of snakes can flatten out their heads and appear to be venomous. So that way a potential predator does not come up on them and try to eat them. So if they look venomous, a predator might be like, okay, I'm not going to mess with that. But a lot of a lot of snakes can, in defense, flatten out their head. And then, like you know, the other one, a lot of people think that like the cat eyes is a venomous snake, and that's just not true. So, the a cat eyeball, the slit, like you see with a lot of pit vipers, just means it's nocturnal. So you see a round pupil, it just means it's out during the day, like a corn snake or. Um, you know, even water snakes, they have round pupils. That means they're out during the day and they go to sleep at night. You see a snake with slit eyes, that means it's active at nighttime. So pit vipers, because they use their heat-seeking pits on the front of their face, they are out at nighttime hunting their prey items like rats, mice, small frogs, and stuff like that. And when you say pit vipers, um, what what would we commonly call those? So, I mean, the pit vipers around here, you're going to have the copperhead, the cottonmouth, the pygmy rattler, the diamondback and the in uh, the timber rattlesnake, and then we the sixth one, which we do not have here in central Arkansas, is the Texas coral snake. That is more that is more down south, like on the Louisiana line border of Arkansas. You should respect you should respect them all, especially if you do not know what it is. Because like I said, anything with a mouth can bite. And if you have something with a with a nasty bite, whether it be just a very bacteria-filled mouth from things that eat carrion, which is dead stuff, um, that's just a, I mean, you can get just as sick from getting a bite from a water snake that eats dead fish, dead frogs that's already been dead for a while um, to a snake that has venom. Just the way your body reacts to it all. Um, but yeah, so just, just respect wildlife. Don't just go off. Don't just go off handling things just because it looks cool or you saw it on a YouTube video. Respect the animal. It doesn't matter if it's in the wild or it's in a private collection. Just respect it. Because, like, in my opinion, most of the venomous stuff is going to be the stuff that's most scared of you um, every single time. Some of the snakes that are a little bit more bold, um, like the rat snake, because it is a larger snake, they're, they're not as feared. And there's just some that just have a better just species-wise has a better personality than ones that are a little bit just naturally more defensive. So is this where you're going to come back and go running? Oh, 100%. 
Especially if I'm here for like drill weekend or AT, I'm definitely coming up here. If they're like self-PT, I'm coming to the track. Or I'm coming to this, this little trail. been Drill Weekend with the Arkansas Army National Guard. I'm Sergeant First Class Jim Houston. Thank you for joining us. See you next drill. That was a snake. Oh, yeah. If you were to hear that, that's a lizard running through grass. But a long, that was a snake. <laughs>